In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Really nice to see all of you today. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, I was on a football team, not a very good football team, uh, but I was uh, on it, and I was se- second string. Not great when you're second string on a bad football team, but um, I was playing behind a guy, actually, who was uh, quite good. He was being recruited uh, by some Division I schools, and we were playing a really good team. And early in the game, it was... I, kind of late, in the, about halfway through the season, early in the game, uh, he uh, came, went down with a, a season-ending knee injury. He did go on to play at Princeton, actually. But um, he went down, and the coach looked at me, had a little hesitation in his voice, and said, all right, get out there. And uh, like I said, a good, good team had a good coach, so uh, he wanted to see, I'm sure, what this second stringer uh, was able to uh, put, put up a fight or not, and uh, I think he was pleasantly surprised, but uh, they 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 ran the uh, the ball right at me. I was double teamed, stood up, and driven back 25 yards. Um, that happened to be uh, I'm sure it was mere coincidence. The last play that I had in that game uh, on defense. So uh, I was so I got double teamed, and I will tell you that I felt a little like that this week. Uh, I uh, by these two passages, uh, these passages have stood me up and driven me back. Um, you've got. Uh, St. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he says he counts everything as rubbish. In fact, the Greek word there is more like dung. He counts everything as dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, uh, his Lord. I can get my head around that uh, theologically and intellectually, but practically and devotionally uh, this week I have found that convicting personally. And then you've got, in John, you've got Mary of Bethany, uh, not the mother of Jesus, but the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And Mary essentially illustrates this humble devotion that St. Paul is talking about. She pours perfume over Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. And her singular devotion to Christ, despite the vocal shaming that she gets from Judas and maybe the other disciples, I have found that also convicting. Sort of like that night on the football field, I have not been able to shake these two passages. You can't turn these passages into theoretical X's and O's on a whiteboard. You have to meet them on the field of your life, and they're going to win. So in the face of such ardent devotion by St. Paul and St. Mary of Bethany, uh, as I've looked at myself, my own relationship with Christ this week, this week I've, I felt maybe I was doing a little more tipping my hat in acknowledgement to Jesus rather than uh, counting everything loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Him. And yet the goal of these passages is not Uh, to drive us into the ground. The goal of these passages is to drive us to Jesus. The goal of these passages is to shout that Jesus is worthy of such devotion. If you take nothing else from this sermon, hear that. Jesus is worthy of such devotion. So I want to talk about each passage, probably spend a little bit more time with Philippians 
uh, and then ask how might we dive a little deeper in our own personal relationship with Jesus. So first, a passage from Philippians. Um, Many of you will remember the great theologian Calvin. I'm not talking about John Calvin. I mean uh, little Calvin with the stuffed tiger Hobbes. Um, And a great theologian, actually. And there was a great comic strip uh, where Calvin was writing in a notebook, and over his head in little kid handwriting, it says, Call me Calvin. He looks up thoughtfully for a moment. If you remember just how illustrative Bill Watterson's drawings were, he looks up, he looks back down, and over his head it says, Actually, make that Calvin, boy genius, hope of mankind. (laughs) Or Dr. Destiny for short. That's Dr. Destiny, sir, to you. And he looks up gleefully and says, man, my, my journal is off to a good start. So, so maybe without a little more context, uh, it, looks, it might look a little like Paul is starting this passage, sort of like Calvin starts his journal. Uh, but actually, Paul is not tooting his own horn. He is addressing a very important issue uh, that is uh, taking hold of the Philippian church. You can remember this is about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. They're very much still trying to work things out, find out uh, exactly what they believe, who this Jesus who rose from the dead was. And, and so uh, many, we've got some Christians who have a Jewish background who have come into the Gentile Philippian church, and they have insisted that in order to be a Christian, you must keep the law of Moses in addition to trusting Jesus. And so they're trying to convince the men among the Philippian church that they should be circumcised. Well, the Philippian men, they, they weren't so eager for that, so they, uh, they wrote Paul and asked him uh, it, what they ought to do. And Paul knows that this flies in the face of any claim that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for our salvation. If you insist on keeping the law as a requirement for salvation, or if, in fact, if you add anything at all to Jesus, then you have voided grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If salvation is not a free gift, but is in any sense a payment for our action, then it is not grace. Paul knows this, but Paul also knows that this is counterintuitive. He knows that we naturally do what little Calvin did in the comic strip. We inflate our sense of self. We pad our resumes before God and humanity. We keep close accounts of our good deeds, even if we forget most of the bad ones. And not only is what Paul is saying counterintuitive, he knows it's also counterreligious. Salvation through obedience to the law is is the Jewish system that they have grown up in. And in fact, it's the system of every religion and every philosophy in some form or fashion with the exception of this new Christian faith. But Christ did not come to demand the keeping of the law. He came to fulfill the law and to offer Himself then on the cross as payment for our sins, as satisfaction for our sins. Obedience may come, and we hope that it will, as as 
freedom after salvation in Christ. We maybe think of that as a, a thank offering for what we have received, but obedience is not required before salvation. And so Paul says, listen, I have played the credentials game. In fact, I've got the credentials. I've got more reason to put confidence in my own flesh, in my own good deeds, in my own credentials than any of those people who are coming in insisting that you have to work to earn God's love. He said, circumcised on the eighth day. So this is from his very birth. A member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The Benjamites were the ones who were faithful even when the rest uh, were not. They stayed uh, loyal to the tribe of Judah and, the, and to King David. Uh, he was a Hebrew born of Hebrews in every sense. He was asked to the law of Pharisee, one of the most uh, religious of them all. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, meaning he, he, always, he, was, he had such passion for what he believed that when, when this new sect of Judaism claiming that Jesus was the Messiah rose up, that he persecuted them. He took them to jail. He oversaw their suffering and even their death. So zealous was he. As to righteousness under the law, he says, blameless. I had it all, says Paul. I had the right last name. I went to the right schools. Did all the right things. And in fact, I did them better than anybody else. It was a house of cards, he says. When I came face to face with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, I did not have a leg to stand on, says Paul. And yet everything I thought my hard-earned goodness would get me, I have found a thousandfold in Jesus Christ Himself. Paul is working against what we would call works righteousness. Which is the idea that God would look upon what we are doing or who we are and be so pleased that He would have no other response than to shower us with blessings and welcome us with open arms. And that is every sinner's pipe dream. But Paul says, if anyone had earned it, it was him. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know, I thought my works were good, but it turns out Jesus' works were better. He could have said that. That, that in fact, would have been true. But no, he says, everything I had, I have given up gladly for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. It was like he had been in the dark, but he had this flashlight. that It worked really well. You know, it was really bright. But when he came into the light of the sun, the flashlight still worked, but it just it seemed kind of silly. It just it didn't, it didn't shine any brightness on anything because the sun was so much brighter. His works just did not seem so bright or important when Jesus came into the picture. I want to know Jesus, Paul says. He is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the goal Himself. He is not a stair step to a better life. He is the end. He is the point. He is the goal. And I just want to know Jesus. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. I want to share with Him in His suffering. That is a prayer that I have not prayed I want to share with him in his suffering. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. 
And this is honestly what I have found so convicting and so hard to wrap my heart around this week. It's easy to make Jesus as a means to an end. I mean, what we really want, is, a, if we're honest, I think, is a life of comfort. Whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's money, maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, good health, maybe it's well-behaved children, maybe it is uh, a happy marriage, maybe it's beauty or the esteem of, uh, of others, whatever it is. However you picture it, we want the life of our dreams. And we might be willing to give Jesus what he wants, which we understand to be obedience, if we have that expectation that in return he will give us what we want. And I will say that a relationship like that is not faith. It is transaction. No, it's not wrong to desire your best life. It's just that Paul is saying that your best life comes in Christ Jesus himself. C.S. Lewis once had a famous sermon called The Weight of Glory in which he said this. He said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. Paul does not say that he wants to learn to love like Jesus or to treat people like Jesus or to do the things that Jesus did. Now those are important things, but that's not the goal. Jesus himself is the goal. I want to know him, to know the power of his resurrection. Not that I've already attained all this, says Paul. Or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. I don't consider that I've made it my own yet, beloved, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Remember, all the credentials, all the accolades, all the glory, all the status He once had, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on toward what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is smitten with Jesus. Now, in the passage from John, Mary of Bethany presents a perfect picture of what Paul is talking about. Now, this is Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him teach while her... Her sister Martha was stressed out in the kitchen. Do you remember her? Or uh, this is Mary who, uh, with whom Jesus wept at the grave of her brother Lazarus before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And here at the dinner table, Mary creates quite a scene, really. She, um, the men are gathered around the table, and it, it would seem strange to us. The table is very low to the ground. They kind of were on their hip, propped up with one arm up like this, and their feet would, were splayed out behind them, sort of fanned out around the table. Uh, and, and Mary uh, comes up and takes a considerable amount of very rare and very costly perfume. In fact, Judas says it's worth an entire year's wages. 
300 denarii. That's what was uh, the, the wages for a regular worker for, for an entire year. So either Mary and her family are very wealthy, or this is some sort of heirloom. And, um, and she pours it out. Just pours, wastes it, essentially. That's what Judas is complaining. She wastes it, pours it out on Jesus' feet, wipes it with her hair. And you might know that, I mean, with farm animals ran through the, the streets in those days, it, it, washing somebody's feet was, was the job of the very lowest servant. And so the humility that Mary is displaying is astounding because she's not using water from the river. She's using one of her most treasured possessions. And she's placing herself lower than the lowest servant. She's not even using a towel. She's just using her, her hair. And it would have been very unusual in that culture for a woman to let down her hair in the presence of other men. Unusual and probably uncomfortable. And the fragrance is filling the room. It just could not possibly go unnoticed. And so, of course, it does not. But Mary seems unconcerned with the complaining of Judas and unconcerned with the cost, either financially or socially. She's only concerned with Jesus. She has counted everything else loss. There's nothing sexual about it. It's just ardent, loving devotion. She's heard Jesus talk about going away. She probably didn't really understand what he meant about being killed and rising again, but she's offering him basically everything she's got without the concern any concern for the opinion of others. And again, I, I don't know about you, but I, if I look in the mirror, I just find her devotion incredibly humbling. So if, if we're going to ask how we might dive a little deeper in our own relationship with Jesus, I think we need to look not at St. Paul and St. Mary, but with them. We need to look with them at Jesus and see what they saw. For Paul, I think it was always that he had been a persecutor of the church. I mean, he brings that up here and he brings it up in so many of his letters that, that, that he, it just astounds him still that, that he was so zealous for his own faith that he was against Jesus and against his followers uh, to the point of their death. And it astounds him that when he met Jesus, he would uh, not have been punished or killed or, or thrown to the side, but he would be uh, caught up and loved on and made one of Jesus' chief apostles. Responsible for now for almost half of our New Testament. It just astounds him that, that the, the level of grace and love that he has received from Jesus And for Mary, I think it had been Jesus' attentiveness to her. He had sat with her and he had wept with her and he had not tried to get her to be busy like her sister, but just loved her where she was. And for us, the answer is not to look at Paul or Mary of Bethany and try to match their devotion, but to look with them at Jesus Christ and to receive again such grace and such kindness and such divine attentiveness. And perhaps to ask Jesus for the grace of such devotion. To ask the Holy Spirit to work in us. That all we count as bright 
within us and around us, that it would fade in the light of his glory. As we move into the last week of Lent and head towards Holy Week next week, can we make that our prayer? Lord Jesus, that all that is bright within us or bright around us, that it would fade in our eyes in the light of your glory. Amen. Amen. The Nicene Creed is found in your bulletin. <clears throat> 